Welcome to Energetic Radio. I am your host, Dale Sybottom. Join me each week as I bring you amazing guests and interviews from some of the world's best operators. They will teach us how to bring fun, energy, and joy into each and every day. Let's get stuck in. episode number 86 of the podcast and today's chat with Susie Stevens from Christchurch New Zealand is one of the most exciting energetic and fun chats I've had this year and that's nothing against other guests that I've had on the podcast but Susie is an absolute gem now we talk about the joys of movement play um, her role with uh, PE New Zealand and what she's doing now her PhD adult play dance and so much more now I don't want to give it all away because I want you to listen in and just really get the vibe and energy that Susie's throwing out today. It's been an absolute pleasure having her on the show and I can't wait to share this chat with you now. Susie Stevens, thank you so much for being on the podcast. How are you today? I'm really good. Thank you so much, Dale. <laughs> now, we just had a, a little chat. I wasn't going to bring this up, but uh, you've gone with uh, Double Pie Friday today. Do you want to explain to everyone what you've just had for lunch? Absolutely. So one of our colleagues in the office decided that Pie Day Friday was going to be a thing. And um, so I have just partaken in some savoury and some sweet pie today. So you've, you've just doubled up and gone with both. Oh, I love that. I think... Uh, I have. <laughs> Pies come in so many great forms and so many things, and you've just dominated with two today. Now, Suze, we actually connected uh, last week now in Christchurch when uh, Carl Conliffe and myself were running a workshop, and you're based in Christchurch, and I was just talking about the weather in Melbourne today, and you're saying it's not cold. It's not cold. I mean, seriously. I think, well, I'm comparing it to the South Island, so single figures for us is just a norm. So I think that... um, I think that you might just be pushing the envelope a little bit by suggesting that you are cold and you're required to wear a hat today. <laughs> so your form of a hat we call a beanie and I've got one on today. So hence, luckily we are just talking today and you don't get to see the uh, setup I'm rolling because it's not the best. Now, Suze, so let's get stuck in. So you're the lead subject advisor for PENS, uh, which yes. is PE New Zealand. Um, and up until now, do you want to just give everyone a little bit of an insight into your journey of how you've actually got to where you are? Yeah, for sure. So um, I trained as a physical education teacher, uh, outdoor education and health as well, was involved in that. And I was teaching for um, a few years and progressed through the ranks and um, led a couple of departments along the way. I loved what I was doing, but I really wanted as well to extend my knowledge and understanding. So I ended up being a little bit of a nerd burger. I went, um, <laughs> just a tiny touch, but I, I ended up doing um, some master's study and that was in um, Olympic studies, all about ed- the educational value of sport. And then I decided as well to do a PhD and my PhD, which I completed at the end of last year, was all um, about the joy of movement Um, and it was awesome. I loved the process and I can honestly say that I got to the end of the PhD not hating my topic um, and still feeling like I really um, I really got something out of it which was really cool yeah I love um, that that's awesome I really and I'm looking forward to talking to you about your PhD but uh, I think I've just interrupted you so I better let you keep going <laughs> 
it's quite all right. I love it. I love that you do that. You're so similar to me that this is going to be funny because <laughs> we're going to interrupt each other all the time, I think. Um, and yeah, so that was that was kind of my nerd burger journey. And alongside that, um, I saw the opportunity to be able to do some work for Physical Education New Zealand. And it, a lot of it is about giving back as well. I really like that I can help and influence the other people in New Zealand in the way that they um, teach physical education and the approach that they take to it. So that that's kind of was my reasons for getting involved. Yeah, I love that. And I know PENS is such an awesome organisation and Carl often talks to me about it and um, I'm really interested. What What is a week or a day-to-day sort of role that you play now? What What are some of the duties that you've got going when you're working for PENS? Yeah, sweet. So we work uh, on the ground level. We help with teachers or we support any practitioner that needs to know about what quality physical education looks like. Um, That could be a phone call or email-based stuff. Um, So I could be answering requests or I could be helping with planning. I could be having a look at um, how they've gone about marking an assessment and giving them some feedback for moderation. Uh, I could be working at a political level. So um, the Ministry of Education or the Ministry of Health, um, sometimes there are outside providers or large organisations that need our help and support to what quality physical education looks like or there might be documents or publications that are released where we need to comment around that or provide guidance around that. So, um, yeah, so multiple folds. So my day could be um, quiet or it could be very, very busy. So you're really wearing a lot of different hats there. Have you have you sort of learnt as you've gone on the job? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I don't think it's um, – the sort of advisory is built around building capacity for others. So I like to think of it as if I've done my job well, people don't need to keep coming back. Um, we shouldn't really be the holder all of of all knowledge. Um, if we can educate people and, and make sure that they understand what quality physical education is, then hopefully we don't need to really exist in that advisory role. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And um, obviously, you know, you've got a lot of different hats there. And one of the main <laughs> things I, I wanted to yeah, talk about is, is your PhD, because I love the topic, the joy of movement in physical education. I know you're big on play <laughs> and everything like that. Do you want to explain some of the uh, findings that you had from your PhD and maybe some of the statistics or just things that you found really enjoyable about completing that? Yeah, for sure. Like my PhD was super trippy. Um, and <laughs> so it, was, it wasn't it wasn't like a regular PhD. It didn't follow the format of like, here are my findings, here are my discussion. It kind of, it, it was, it used a, um, a research approach called hermeneutics. Now that's kind of a little bit, a little bit out there and I'm guessing most people won't understand what that is. Um, but relatively it involves being alongside people in the context that you're looking, uh, what you're looking at and you're trying to work out why they make sense of what they do. So I followed physical education students in their normal PE classes and um, I was watching and interpreting how they experienced the joy of movement. And it was such a privilege to see how learners were moving, the joy that they were getting from that movement and how they interpreted it. Um, And some of the massive findings were that we shape a lot of the joy that we see. So for an example, success, like if you're successful in a movement, like a sporting movement, then you find it relatively joyful because you can perform and you can achieve that performance. So our sporty kids, or when we look at kids, we go, yeah, they're sporty, they're cool, they're enjoying it, they're loving it. 
those that don't fit that bill or don't fit the performance category tend to get uh, labelled as the ones that are distant or disengaged or they don't like PE. But actually, we've shaped that discourse. So a lot of it actually, if we flip it, um, the joy is actually shaped, their joy is actually shaped by how we shape PE, which is a little bit trippy. But if you know what I'm saying, then yeah, um, yep. yeah then it's <laughs> kind of what it's about and i think that's really fascinating so does that always i really think that comes back to the individual teacher is that sort of what you found that um through your findings it has a lot to do the the, obviously finding success and then the joy that comes with that is dependent on upon individual teachers yeah i think so i think a lot of it's the culture and things that we don't um often see but yeah absolutely how you present yourself in terms of that space is really important as a teacher because you can make or break a a child's life in that situation um and and that's what we were talking about when we're talking about play you know allowing opportunities for playfulness and play and um and promoting other alternate types of movement are really important because it allows it allows individuals to express them way, themselves in ways that's different from, you know, what we normally constitute as being sport. Um, and so if we, yeah, if we as teachers create an environment where the playfulness can flourish, then we'll find we'll probably have lots of different experiences of joy from our kids. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I suppose as teachers, and particularly in PE, it's not always about success. It's about just enjoying it, being lifelong learners and playing. And did you see any, um, I suppose you would have you masked a lot of teachers, you would have seen a lot of lessons. Did you see anything that was a little unnormal, I suppose, that really encouraged that play in that sort of free play sort of way, Suze? Yeah, I loved, um, there There was really cool sessions that involved dance. And I think that dance is sometimes overlooked in physical education contexts, but it allows for this playfulness. It allows for people to, uh, to try new moves and move in different ways that are not prescribed to a specific sport. You know, when we think about jumping, we think about, you know, one way to do it or one foot or two feet, okay, for an example. But if we break down that skill or look at it in a different way and look at how we've contextualized it, um, we uh, we actually open up for the world of possibility. We look at, and, and dance allows for that. So I really loved watching dance lessons simply because uh, I think students, like our, our kids are way more creative than we give them credit for. And if we remove some of the constraints away around how something should look, then often with a through play, um, often they create a new way of moving um, and they they love it. They become in the moment, they really, um, they really thrive on being able to do something that's different. Yeah, and I think when uh, you mentioned dance straight away, um, I know when I was like teaching primary school and then high school, <laughs> I used to get really nervous because like, I'm definitely not a good dancer and I know that there's a lot of other <laughs> teachers that are like, oh, I can't teach dance, I can't move, I've got two left feet. What, what advice would you have for somebody that may be a little bit apprehensive to like incorporate some dance or some sort of free play sort of dance style of teaching? 
Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's so many ways that you can do it without freaking out. Um, you know, for, for an example, there are things like stomp or there are movement patterns where you can do sports dance where you actually mimic, uh, you know, a sporting movement. Do you, do you okay, so when you go climbing, Dale, you I'm have climbing. to tell me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm that my sure. days of climbing have been over now, Sue, but when no. I did go climbing, yes. You have to you have to answer me seriously. Did you did you have any go to moves that you did like putting uh, oh. putting cans uh, in the grocery cart or the sprinkler? Do you oh, do you have this in, in Australia? I think back in the day I might have tried some of those maybe at university, but I think my dance moves recently, probably the last <laughs> ten years, have been holding up the bar or just getting the single fist pump going. My dance moves are shocking too. So you put me on the spot then. I think um, I think that. Teachers would be able to relate to that because um, I remember my first teaching job, the first year I had to teach 10 different dancers and I was just petrified and I think that has shaped my opinion of dance and I think others do as well. So just getting you to talk about it and obviously, um, you know, it's such a, I don't know if it's a stereotype thing, but I know a lot of males that I've spoken to get scared when you mention dance. Yeah, for sure. But like there are so many cool things you can do to break that down. Like if we, I mean, we think about our Indigenous, uh, like haka and things like that, which are really powerful ways to explore different movements. And so we use that quite a lot in the New Zealand context um, but you know if you if you don't have that or you don't connect to that then using things like sporting movements like cricket but slowing down the defensive drive or something like that or so slowing down movements or doing it at a different pace or doing it a different way so you're not actually calling it dance you don't need to call it dance if you don't want to but it's moving in different ways to allow our bodies to experience these these new and exciting ways of moving. Um, and yeah, and it, it doesn't need to be daunting and it definitely doesn't need to be, uh, one particular way or one particular dance style. I've never, I've never heard of that being done before. I know, um, obviously breaking down a movement and so many sports have got actual movements that you could incorporate into a dance. So I think that might be a way of starting it and not calling it dance. I think if you label something, you know, certain boys particularly will be like, I don't (laughs) want to do that. Like, and is that, I just think, you know, come up with a different name. Is that sort of what you saw work best? Yeah, for sure, for sure you can. I mean, I think if if kids, you know, it's the way that we approach something. So if we go into that activity and we have hesitations or we say, oh, we're doing this today because we have to, or this is part of our curriculum, or we're not going to use this because I don't like it, or we're going to do this and then you as a teacher just sit right back. How can you expect anyone to engage yes. with you if you're not engaged yourself? It's just, it's really, it's, it's quite inappropriate to expect it um and and so we need to be modeling it so but there are ways that that you yourself can change or modify an activity where you don't need to be teaching the skill either you don't need to be demonstrating if you freak out with dance you know you have students in your class that will excel or be really good in these other areas um, and it's about working with them or getting kids to work together one of the best things i've seen in in a unit of you know exploring different movements um, was kids creating these movement patterns together to popular music? So it wasn't. It, it was like a dance routine, but you didn't really need to call it a dance routine. It what they didn't have to be good at dance. They just all came up with one movement each, and then they put them together. So there were ten movements 
together and effectively they're making a dance sequence but they're they're just putting movement together they're just moving in a different way and they had so much fun creating and laughing and the social situation of of just moving with other people it was really cool yeah i think that's awesome and i think that point you just mentioned that energy is infectious if you're a teacher and you've got no energy no passion behind it i think that's really unfair to think that our kids are going to do that um, and one of the one of the things that I I have used in workshops recently is the Shark Tank experience, where um, mm. students have to create something. And and dance was one of those in gymnastics. And what they would do is they would roll a dice five times, and each number on the dice was a different dance move or a different gymnastics move. And then they would have to incorporate that into a routine in thirty seconds and present it to the class as a Shark Tank, like the TV show. Uh, That's awesome. And it was, it was amazing, you know. And like there was like there was a worm in there. There was, you know, I did have the sprinkler. So you just mentioned that before. So yeah. I, I had a little laugh. So bringing um, it back. So, and, and I think as a teacher, you don't actually have to. So if you've got a phobia of dancing, I didn't actually show any of these moves because the kids already knew them. So I was giving them the free reign. So I think there are so many different ways out there that traditional dance doesn't mean that you do line dance or, you know, you're doing the waltz or things like that. So I I love that idea. And I think people can really adapt that and, and really use it however they want. Yeah, I I agree. And like you say, I mean, our students have these ideas. We just need to provide the platform for them to be able to do them in an authentic way and do them in a safe way. I mean, kids just want to be able to play in a safe way where they're not going to get ridiculed. They're going to be part of this team together and um, and they can create, they can experience new stuff. So I, I, you know, I completely agree with you that you don't need to call it something if that threatens or that seems, you know, daunting to some of your kids I mean I think at the end of the day it comes back to the teacher will know their students the best and they'll know what's going to work for the kids and they'll know how they need to deliver that yeah and again it always everyone's going to do it differently but if you can have that student sort of focused approach where it's up to them because there's no right or wrong answer and I think some of the best lessons I've created have not been mine they've been ones that the students have created for me and you know you steal those ideas and and I'll run with them I'll keep going yeah, absolutely. I call it the magpie. So you know how like <laughs> when the magpie just goes and picks and chooses things from other people's nests. And um, and so I think we all have this approach to education. We magpie it. So we see something shiny and we latch onto it. We really love it, right? Um, and I think that that, that is a really, really, um, a really cool way to sort of approach how we fill our nests. And, yeah, I love the magpie scenario. So is that sort of going back to, because I always know um, on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, like the groups of PE teachers and other teachers, somebody will post a game and it will go viral. Is that sort of (laughs) what you mean that people will then use that? That's the magpie approach? Yeah, absolutely. But hopefully take it and make it their own. I mean, the the problem with I think sometimes when we when we have lots of YouTube stuff, or we have little snippets, sometimes we take that as is, and we think that that's going to be right for our kids. But we actually need to think about how that would look in our environment, or how we could best use that. Because my kids are going to be different from yours. And, and somebody over the other side of the country is going to have a very different cohort of kids, you know, um, from another. And so when we take something 
you want to take it because you can try it in your own environment. You can change little elements of it, and you know you know that it's good for your learners, um, rather than just taking it because because it's the the in thing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I do agree with that because one size definitely does not fit all, and uh, yeah. I think that's a really good approach. Now, I know another big area is obviously with your role in pens would be teacher well being, and obviously you know it's it is a very stressful job that we have. Um, the roles, the duties are getting bigger and bigger each year. What are some ways that you sort of particularly work with staff and maybe new ones or just staff that are sort of struggling? Are there certain tips and tricks that, you know, you try and help them to, you know, stay on top of their well-being and improve their wellness? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, this is an area that I'm really, I'm really passionate about because I try to, ex- I, I try to model uh, a very well life. And anybody that knows me, uh, I, I'm not sure how many people listening to your podcast will know me. I'm but, sure, I'm sure a few will. <laughs> but most people that know me know that I am uh, a vibrant and a, a really happy person and I approach everything really optimistically. Um, I'm very grateful for what I have and I know that gratitude is big to you as well, Dale, and yeah. I think that um, that is important to live an authentic life. So if stuff is not going right, I, I'm not fearful about saying stuff is not going right um, or if I need to refine a balance, I'm, I'm okay to say, no, actually I need to take stock and I need to refine balance. And I guess that's the advice that I give to teachers is because uh, in teaching, it's the demands are insane, absolutely insane. And I think I read somewhere that a teacher makes more minute-to-minute decisions than a brain surgeon. Um, and so if we think about that in terms of how, how well our brains are working throughout the day, then sometimes we just need to rest. Sometimes we need to detach from the environment. Sometimes we need to pull back. Um, and you can't do that if you're taking your work home and you're working really, really long hours or you are putting too much of yourself into the role. Uh, and I, so I often try and um, try and support teachers to take time away so when you return, you are fresher and you are approaching it with a positive attitude rather than being overwhelmed. I, I love that advice and sometimes it's easier said than done and I think uh, everybody can take a little bit of that on board because working ridiculous hours actually isn't getting the best for yourself. If you just take a little time out or a little meditation break or something like that, it can recharge and you can go again. Now, I know you just mentioned about like obviously happiness and gratitude and, and these are massive things for me and people that have listened to my podcast will know that probably in the last six to eight months, it's really my mindset has changed on all this. Is there... So is there any like daily routines that you have, um, you know, to obviously achieve that happiness and stay on top of your game? Yeah. Um, no, I'm super spontaneous. So I have nothing that I do on a regular basis, but everything has the same theme. I always kind of went through life and I never knew what I wanted to do, but I always want, I always knew how I wanted to do it. So everything I do, I approach with the same, um, the same mindset, which is making sure that I am balanced, making sure I'm authentic and making sure that I am a little bit playful, joyful, and spontaneous in that moment. So for an example, I'll always do something physical throughout the day, but how that might look is completely uh, up to the day itself. So I might do a little short workout. I might go for a run. I don't run with any watch or any constraint in terms of time. If I can't run for pleasure, then I won't do it that day. Um, I skip randomly. Yeah, so, cool. 
don't know me before you judge me. But <laughs> but um, if there is an opportunity to play, like a low-hanging chain or something like that, I will skip over it. I will jump at random times. Uh, I will frolic if I can through the grass. Like I will do random stuff. And so if somebody looks at me from the outside, they might think that I have a couple of screws loose. But <laughs> For me, that is part of living this spontaneous life um, and and really embracing the fact that, hey, I I have the privilege to be able to move in these ways. Now, some people don't have that privilege. So why would I worry about what other people thought of me at that time and space? Like that, that's a privilege. So so I often see it like that. So yeah, so my day is never really too structured. Um, I work when my brain works best and I try, and that, that again is a privilege because often in schools uh, you don't have that privilege you're you're actually um you're defined by bell times and by routine um but even when I was working in a school I tried to I tried to find moments within that routine and within that structure to be unstructured if that makes sense yeah I I think that and, and one really good point there is that you know when students leave school, there's no bells or there's no time. So working these set times, look, it doesn't really work. And I understand that it needs to be that for a reason. But um, are we setting our students up to, I don't know, sort of fail a little bit with those bells? Yeah, it's 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 quite a contentious point. Like, imagine, I mean, the only reason they exist is because we needed some sort of structure and we pulled them in. And but it, we does it? Yeah, does it need to exist? I mean, and there's lots of trials around uh, different working weeks, how that would look, different employee hours. Uh, we're getting a lot more flexible in terms of the way that learning is structured or our work life is structured. And I think that will continue to change. I think that we will um, we will become Become more open to looking at, you know, the flexibilities around working, um, and hopefully that can actually trickle down to our schools. I know that there's quite a few schools in New Zealand that are looking at different ways of learning. They've got project-based learning. They are going for longer periods of time or shorter periods of time during the day. The day structure looks differently. Um, they're trying to assess in different ways, and all of it is is showing really great um, results for the kids. So so maybe it is a trend that we will see more of. It's, it's a really interesting point because you look at all workplaces, you know, they've got flexible hours. I know like my girlfriend, Bree, she works from home half the week now. She doesn't even have to go in as long as she's getting everything done. And I'm not saying schools need to be like that or anything, you know, but our classrooms are changing a little bit, but I still think we've got a long way to go. Is, is, do you reckon that's probably a fair assumption? Yeah, I think so. I think, well, it's safety, right? I mean, our brains are programmed that we don't, we're averse to risk. We don't want risk. Um, And so often our decision-making process follows that. And so schools have these structures that have been in place for a long period of time, and it's really hard to actually instigate cultural change. It's really difficult, and it's a long process. So I I think that, yeah, we do have a long way to go, um, and I hope that people still keep chipping away at that, though. I, I hope that people don't um, give up on something just simply because it's been done one particular way historically or they feel like this is the way it should be done. Um, I hope that we can that we can keep changing and keep developing and growing in our educational spaces. 
Yeah, well, I think with people like yourself in high positions and having that mindset that um, it is only a matter of time, you know, before things start slowly changing and, and because teachers feel they have the opportunity and the confidence behind them to go about doing that. Now, I just want to bring back to you saying about having a screw loose earlier and um, <laughs> jumping around and then, do you think... I, I, I get looked at this a lot and people call me crazy and silly and I can tell that we're very similar in our energy and the way we outlook on life. Do you think people are jealous that uh, the way you have the confidence to move and the way that you, if you want to play, you want to play. If you want to skip, you want to skip. Do you, do you think that comes down to jealousy? Because deep down we're all kids and we want to do it, but I just think people don't, they're a bit vulnerable. They don't have the confidence to do what you're doing. Yeah, look, agreed. I don't know whether or not they'd be jealous, but I, I think, I mean, I can't, I mean, that's, that's their feeling for them. But I think uh, when it comes down to it, society has shaped people in a way where that stuff is not seen to be normal. And I often say with my students, I have a really good example of, of jumping, you know, when is jumping okay? And, um, and we come up with a list of places where jumping's okay, and it's fine at athletics, and jumping's okay in basketball, and jumping's okay if it looks like this at CrossFit and uh, and then I say what about in a post office queue uh, when you are waiting to mail a letter and kids are like no you can't you can't <laughs> just jump in in the middle of a queue and I'm saying to them but why you know what makes that any different the movement itself is the same so so what's happening in terms of the difference between these two places and and they talk about how it's just how society has created that one's acceptable and one's not um, and the appropriateness of doing something in a certain space and time and I think um, so I don't think people I don't I, I think it's it's quite difficult to acknowledge that this is a, a, a societal uh, sort of a, a barrier that's created for us. And often we don't know it's in play ourselves. It's really hard to identify and it's hard to push against that because it's a risk. It's a risk that we would be socially isolated, that people would look at us and go, that person is a nutter, <laughs> weird. Uh, I, I don't want to be seen with them. They must be on something, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so what drugs did she take this morning? Uh, you know, all of this sort of stuff. So you have to be really assured of yourself uh, to, to not worry worry about that conception yeah and that's so true I know and deep down people you know are too worried about what other people think and and that's fine but um, I think you should be able to jump whenever you want if you want to jump if you want to (laughs) sing you want to sing but people look at you like you're a freak and I know I get a lot of those looks Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. But there, I mean, there is so, there's screeds of research that supports that spontaneity and play around, you know, social spontaneity and physical spontaneity, the, all these discourses of playfulness, all of these common traits of being a playful person is so good for your well-being. It's so good for your well-being. It's good for your health. And life shouldn't be super, super serious. You know, we, we should be able to have a laugh and these problems that are created, you know, often the the stress that just comes from overthinking those problems or the anxiety around those problems, often that is what makes it bigger than what it is. Um, and so that being able to look at life through a lens of optimism and through a lens of, you know, fun and creativity can often really de-stress some of those really big moments. 
Yeah, and it just made me, while you're thinking, talking about that, just made me think back. I was, um, started the year in March, I, I ran a two-day conference in Kenya, and we had 22 teachers from all over Africa, and um, on the middle night of the conference, they took me out for a few beers, and we were sitting around, and I, I normally just teach a game, or I play, I like playing games, and so I taught them this game where you put your hands up to your eyes, and it's like a chicken, you go, bork, and, and that means you go one way, and if you go, bork, bork, you go back the other way and so forth. Anyway, we played this game for about two or about 20 minutes in this pub and people were looking at us like freaks. Anyway, after the two-day conference, all anyone was doing at the end was going, and, and like the whole group was doing it. So it just shows what uh, play can do in certain situations. You know, that was the most impactful thing. And probably go say, well, my conference wasn't very good. But what they took away was it was from this silly game where you act like chickens because it was something different that they've never played before. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that, you know, play, playfulness and the, and the idea of play can um, transgress those boundaries, right? So of language or of culture, you know, sometimes when we play in another culture um, or we're exposed to different forms of play, um, we you can learn so much about people and you don't need language. Yeah. Uh, often, you know, you, you can share these moments with people through this, this playful encounter. Um, so I, I'm the same. I love that. I love that you shared that. That's so cool. <laughs> well, I think and, and what it, and what it, and it was really interesting because, as I said, there was, I think there was um, eight different uh, nationalities represented at this conference or at these drinks, and a couple of them had been a little bit reserved throughout the first day. And, and what actually happened when this game came out was the next day they rolled in and they gave me a hug, whereas I, hug, <laughs> I barely got a word out of them the, the day before. And it just shows you that the learning or what actually the experience of play can do, it's crazy, Suze. Mm, I, I agree. I agree. And um, yeah, it does. It, it really connects people and it allows people to open up because you have to break down those barriers when you play. And especially if you do something silly, like if, if play, if, if you've set up an activity where people need to be a little bit silly, you will notice that, you know, over a period of time, maybe at the start, they might be a little bit hesitant, but by the end of that activity, they have got to a place where they are sharing and acting with others um, that that is a real level of trust. It requires them to totally act a fool in a society where that's not normally okay. But if you've made this wee hub, this wee safe hub for play, you'll find that people will um, will engage on a, a level that's, uh, that's different to how they would act with you in other spaces. Yeah, and the, the relationship and the connection between everyone it's just crazy when that happens. And I always say this because I will start any game and I will make myself look like a fool. I know I'll, <laughs> I'll do that. I think as a teacher, if you're running an activity or things like that and you are vulnerable or you're not willing to put yourself out there, then that activity won't work. Do you think that's, you know, if you're leading something, you need to act like a chicken or you need to make a silly noise or um, any game like that where you're expecting the students to break down those barriers – do you feel as teachers we're the ones that need to lead that? Oh, I think absolutely, absolutely. You need to construct that activity in a way where kids, uh, they can see that you are human as well and you're prepared to have fun and you are prepared to engage in whatever you tell them to do. I mean, movement is just not enjoyable if you are being dictated to. You know, if you have somebody standing there, like take take cross country for an example. If you've got a teacher outside in the cold with single digits wearing a beanie, uh, <laughs> 
I'm down with it. I'm down with it. You've got the lingo now. I love it. I've I've learned. We've playfully. I've playfully learned. so if, you, if you're standing there with a massive jacket on and your beanie and a clipboard and you're taking times for kids that are running, it's really unmotivating as a kid. If you run past people like this or someone with a, standing there with a hot chocolate and you're like, go kids, you know, or come on, it's really terrible. But, you know, imagine that culture of the class compared to one where you have a teacher that's participating with you, that's actually running with you around the track or going or motivational or getting involved or who got changed themselves that there screams it absolutely screams that they are dedicated to the job that they are committed that they respect their students and that they're willing to actually model that they um that they find this important i think like any activity we take as teachers if we're not prepared to do the activity ourselves or if we wouldn't do it in the situation that we're trying to make kids do it in, then we have to question whether or not it's the right activity to do. Wow, that is that is so powerful. Um, we need to practice what we preach. We need to lead the way and we need to create that environment where, you know, the students know that we will do it because we back up what we're actually preaching. And I, I love that. I think that's a great example. And I, I really enjoyed how you, you know, slipped the beanie in there. Because I thought, <laughs> thought that was very well done. Too easy now. Well, I had, to, I, had to, I had to try and connect with my audience. Oh. So, you know, I'm like... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if the whole audience will be wearing a beanie, but thank you for that. Now, Sue, so this has been awesome. I've got one last question that I like to ask all my guests, and um, oh, if you could, don't worry, it's not the the icebreaker question that we I cut out. Now, um, if you could go back to eighteen year old Sue's when you were just playful as, and give yourself one tip that you have learnt um, from all your years of wisdom, um, what would that one tip be? Wow, that is such a cool question, Dale. That's awesome. Yeah, I love and it. I don't, I didn't give you, I never give people uh, the the forward planning of this. So oh, if you do need to take so, a little second, okay. I can no, no, on. no, 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 no. Uh, so the the best piece of advice I would give eighteen year old Sue's uh, is would be just embrace me a little bit quicker. So I, I think I was still really my own person at that age and I was a little bit quirky and a little bit different. But I think not until my mid-20s did I start actually expressing that to others and in open spaces. And I would say embrace it earlier so just do not be fearful about what people think about you know what you're doing with your life uh you just need to go you just need to do what's right for you just love it get amongst it and don't be afraid of of how anything looks um and I think yeah that's what I'd probably say to 18 year old Suze yeah that that is is amazing also not to over pluck my eyebrows because eyebrows are (laughs) They're massive right now, like really big eyebrows. So, I mean, either one of those pieces of advice. I think I'll, I think I'll stick with that first one. That was it was very powerful. You choose that. I'll take that advice when I'm plucking my monobrow next time, though, Sue. So I don't yeah. know if the massive monobrows in, but that is awesome advice. And I think uh, if students, uh, particularly teachers, are listening out there, that is something that we can tell our students because particularly in the digital age they're growing up in, that is something that is getting harder and harder to handle. Now, Sue, 
This has been next level. I've loved the energy um, on you Twitter, know. on the Twitter, on the Twitter sphere. We can catch you at Susie Stevens. Is there anywhere else people can after this just go? Wow, I want to want to get more Sus in my life. Can we find no, you anywhere else? They don't. They don't need any more Sus in their life. Trust me, they can't handle it. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sus, you are an absolute superstar. I'll have a link if you want to connect uh, with Sus on Twitter and. Thank you so much for your time today. Go easy on the eyebrows and I really appreciate it. Oh, it's just awesome, Dale. It's been such a pleasure to meet you and I loved I loved meeting you when you came to Christchurch and it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. So epic. Uh, this is great. I'm going to have an awesome afternoon. Oh, I love that. Thanks, Suze.